It's good to be here this Lord's Day morning. Good to have Mike back with us uh, also. I know he's glad to be back at home and wish that he was 100% uh, right now to be able to stand before you and share God's word. But we do appreciate you being here. We do appreciate all those that are visiting with us. Uh, we want to continue to encourage you if you keep coming back week after week and you're members of the Lord's body, uh, place your membership with us and take part in the work that we have. Uh, we try to meet the needs of people in our community and throughout the world, uh, whether it's physical needs or spiritual needs, uh, but we want to encourage you to take part in the work that we have here. Uh, if you're visiting with us and you're not uh, a child of God and you're continuing to find answers to the questions that are in your life, whether it's about life or godliness, we want to encourage you to hang around. Uh, your questions can be answered on what you can do to become a Christian and what you can do to become a child of God. <clears throat> Last week, I appreciated the opportunity to be able to preach uh, and always try to always look for God's providence as it's worked out in the lives of individuals. But uh, those that were with us knew Mike was still battling his illness. Uh, I was able to preach on a boy in his home. Well, my wife and I got a call Friday uh, from some older friends of ours. Their daughter was going to come by and, and uh, want to know if she could stay with us. She was going to go to Tupelo to pick up her teenage daughter, and her teenage daughter is battling a lot of problems. Uh, some of those problems are uh, suicidal thoughts. And so last Wednesday, I noticed there were CDs on the table back here, and I said, I wonder if that's my uh, lesson on that CD. And, and of course it was, and uh, I was able to share that with the family, and I told them, you know, listen to this on your way there. Because as I pointed out last week, you know, we would all love to have perfect children and perfect parents. Uh, but sometimes sin gets a hold of us and we have troubles at home. And so I hope that uh, lesson would be a, a way to encourage them uh, about the home. And, you know, how it can be better if Christ is a part of their life. And how I can encourage that daughter that things aren't as bad as they seem to think. She was sick of home and I hope she's homesick. And I hope when she gets home that uh, she can make some right decisions. So I always try to look for God's providence. And, and I think it worked out that way. And I appreciate, you know, the sermons being put on CDs. And uh, as Mike preaches every week, grab a CD, give it to someone. They may be looking for those answers uh, in their life. They may not take the time to sit and listen to you, but maybe they can take the time to listen uh, to one of these lessons that are on a CD. But again, I appreciate you being here with us this morning. Let me encourage you to turn back in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Uh, because this morning is not a Christmas sermon, but it's a sermon entitled, No Room for Jesus. Uh, maybe you have noticed these facts that were in the scriptures before uh, as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, but I tried to put them together in a lesson that with some folks, <clears throat> there's no room for Jesus. In uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning here at verse 1, it says that it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child, and it was so that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. You know, we think of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the greatest person this world has ever known. But at the same time, he's the greatest person that this world has ever rejected. 
Because Jesus even told us, many are called, but few are chosen. And Jesus given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. Yes, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but on this occasion, being in the womb of Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, she's, as we know, nine months pregnant. And because of the taxation that went forth, Joseph had to take Mary, who was nine months pregnant, on that journey into Bethlehem uh, because they were taxed. didn't matter whether she was nine months pregnant or not. Those individuals had to go to their home city and to pay the taxes that were there. So Joseph's there. Uh, we asked the question, where is the hospitality? Uh, I know maybe they were covered up more back then than some women are covered up today, but uh, some mothers already, when they see a woman that's pregnant, they may be able to tell you, well, she's just six months pregnant or seven months pregnant or eight months pregnant, and, and they know when that belly drops, they're nine months pregnant, and they're about ready to have that baby. And so we might ask, where's the hospitality? Because they were in that city for a few days, and Joseph is trying to find a place for he and his wife. But every motel or hotel or inn that he went to all the rooms were filled. It's understandable. All these Jews had to go back to their home city uh, for their taxation. Well, when you travel back there, you might stay with family or you may stay, stay at an inn. They were all booked up. And so we might ask, where's the hospitality? We might ask, why didn't someone just provide a cot or maybe give up their bed so that this nine-month pregnant woman could lay in that bed? That wasn't done. We don't know why. The scriptures do not tell us. But we might ask, where is the hospitality? It, it, it's understandable that the rooms were occupied, but it, it's in, incomprehensible that no one tried to provide assistance. And so they went on their way. Then we might think about the humility. Joseph didn't go berserk. He didn't say, now, you've got to have a room somewhere. You've got to have a little space somewhere. My wife's nine months pregnant. She's about ready to have a baby. You know, he, he didn't go through all these arguments. He didn't go crazy. But he just went on his way, showing his humility and his trust in God. Also, Mary showed her humility. Uh, we might think of some pregnant mamas today, and they'd be anything but humble. They might tell their husband, don't come back to the car if you don't have a room. Or, don't come back at all. And, and so they might say a few other nice words to the husband if he comes back and says, uh, you know, we can't stay here. We've got to go somewhere else. But as we read in the text, there was no room for Jesus in the end. Yes, he's still in the baby of Mary, but there was no room for them in the end. If you're there in Luke 2, turn to Luke chapter 4. When this child grows up, Luke tells us he's about 30 years old. Luke chapter 3 and verse 23. He's about 30 years old and he begins his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, he's performing miracles. He's casting out demons. But if you would, begin reading with me here in verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, and notice this, being glorified of all. You know, things are going great. Miracles are being performed. Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. The blind can see. The deaf can hear. The lame can walk. His fame is being spread abroad. He, he comes back to Galilee, and we notice he goes into a synagogue and see what takes place here. Verse 16 and following. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. <clears throat> and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or that is Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Notice these gracious words. 
because these people are going to hear these gracious words and they're going to think about how gracious they are. He says here, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And, and I want to pause there. Sometimes we need a good message. We need an encouraging word. We need to hear that there is help. And as Jesus is reading through this, just think of a synagogue. And they're trying to maintain their faithfulness and their obedience before God as Jews under the old law. They're still trying to meet the needs of the people that are in their area as well. And Jesus, and no doubt he had a great moral character. 30 years old, they knew him, he grew up in this area. He reads these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach and to heal and to set at liberty them that are bruised. And, and they hear these gracious words, yeah, we know the poor need help. We know folks need the gospel preached unto them. And they hear these words and they're just so gracious. And then Jesus says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And so while they're hearing this gracious message, they're thinking, now wait a minute. He applied that scripture to himself. He is saying that he's been anointed by the Spirit of God to carry out these things. And so not only were they wondering at the gracious words that came out of his mouth, then they said, is not this Joseph's son? And so he brings up some examples also that took place in the Old Testament, a couple miracles uh, that took place. But then let me pick up reading again in verse 28. A L. All that were, notice this, in the synagogue, all that were in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. Well, wait a moment. We looked at verse 15. When Jesus was there in those other synagogues, his fame was spread abroad. They're glorifying God because of what this individual is doing. These folks aren't filled with praise before God. Now they're filled with wrath. Verse 29, and they rose up and they thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. See, we noticed there was no room for Jesus in the end. Now you notice in some synagogues, there's no room for Jesus in the synagogue. They didn't want him to be in their synagogue. They said, is not this the carpenter's son? Uh, you might have some folks uh, like that today. You have somebody, they, they may develop themselves into a great character. And, and they may even say, you know, you know what, I, I want to be a, a minister. I want to be a preacher. I want to be able to take the gospel, you know, to those that are lost. And they might think, you know, isn't his daddy a cashier down at the store? Or, you know, isn't his daddy of, of this lowly position? And, and he says he's going to do something great like preach and, and minister. Uh, isn't this the one that we know of? And they may list the sins that he committed when he was younger and say, how can somebody like that do something great? And so they're looking at this man that's reading these scriptures to them and they're saying, is he acting like he's going to be some Christ or something? Some great prophet? Or someone else. And then they say, and they try to reason in their mind, this is a carpenter's son. Not a high priest's son. Not a Levite's son. This is a carpenter's son. As if it's some lowly 
position. If you think that's not enough, when Jesus called his disciples, uh, you have one that says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know, when they hear that we found the Christ, his name is Jesus and Nathaniel and Bartholomew. And these folks are talking back and forth and they say, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's like saying, can any good thing come out of Memphis? Or can anything good thing come out of New York or Atlanta or Detroit? But they're saying this is a carpenter's son. And how can he claim to be able to do such great things? Now, we'll keep in mind, you know, as you have read through the scriptures before, some synagogues, they loved to have him. Some, they didn't. Some rulers of the synagogue would be uh, filled with, with hatred and malice. They'd become irate as they would see what Jesus would do in their synagogues. But we see these folks here, they didn't want Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, to be a part uh, of their membership within that synagogue. Did they just simply want to disfellowship him or, you know, withdraw their fellowship from him? No. They took him out to the hill and they wanted to cast him off to kill him because to them, you know, he's either some kind of imposter or some kind of blasphemer and, and, and we don't want him here. And so they wanted to cast him out of their synagogue. And we just simply asked that question, you know, where's the fellowship? Jesus talked about preaching the gospel. That is the good news of the coming kingdom. Who wouldn't want somebody to preach that message? Jesus talked about trying to, to reach the poor, the brokenhearted, those that are bruised. Uh, who wouldn't want an additional member to carry out that work with them? Uh, well, they didn't care that he talked about preaching and, and teaching and edifying and, and trying to reach those that were in need and trying to be benevolent. Uh, these individuals didn't want him in their synagogue. And we see that taking place. Yes, Jesus is the Christ. Uh, he would point that out on a few occasions, that he is the Son of God. That he came to, to give his life for the sins of many. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. But some folks, no room for him in the inn, no room for him in the synagogue. And then third, we see there was no room for Jesus on earth. Uh, it's one thing not to have a room in a motel. Another thing that, you know, some congregations or some synagogues didn't want you to be a part of their membership. But it is another thing when they, they just don't want to see your face. They don't want to see you walking around. They do not want to see you living. And so when you think about Jesus Christ, we might ask, well, what's the problem? A great individual like this, what, what seems to be the problem? Evil just doesn't like good. Evil doesn't like being around good. And we see in Revelation chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3 when John was able to see this vision. And in that vision, he was able to see a woman that was great with child, a, a woman that was ready to bring forth a child. And, and John sees this vision that this great red dragon wants to attack this woman and her child and to devour the child when it's born. Yes, that's Satan. Yes, that's Mary bringing forth Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 2, you see how Satan wanted to carry out his work through Herod. Uh, the patriarch at that time. He was a ruler over a fourth part. The wise men that came to Herod, they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Well, that got Herod a little curious because he's already a king. Competition, they say, is, is born somewhere, and we want to find out where he is. Well, when they searched the scriptures, it said he's to be born in Bethlehem. And so they went to find the place where the young child was, and Herod said, when you find him, bring me news that I may come and worship him. Herod didn't want to worship that newborn king of the Jews. Herod wanted to kill him. And so when Herod saw that he was mocked, of course, referred to it before, Matthew chapter 2, Herod went out and had those babies killed. Any baby that was born during the time that the wise men were gone, uh, he wanted those children of that age and younger killed. So you see, Satan wanted to kill this one that was going to be born king of the Jews. 
Herod wanted this one to be killed that was to be born king of the Jews. And then you have some other people. They didn't want Jesus walking on the face of the earth. They wanted him killed as well. Luke chapter 4 and verse 29, we read that passage. They just simply didn't want to kick him out of the synagogue. They wanted to cast him off a cliff to kill him. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. <clears throat> Here's our Savior. He's not holding anything back, but he points out who these chief priests, these leaders, these Pharisees truly are. You know, they're not children of Abraham. If they were children of Abraham, they'd do the works of Abraham. Uh, they're not following after Moses. If they were following after Moses, they would believe that Jesus is the Christ because Moses wrote about Jesus Christ our Lord. But he makes it plain in verse 44 of John 8 that they are of their father the devil, the lust of their father they will do. He was a murderer in a, in, uh, from the beginning and abode not in the truth because the truth uh, is not in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. And so these individuals here, when he's telling them this, they were beginning to be filled with wrath and anger. They wanted to kill our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, they picked up stones uh, just to hurt him. No, they do it on a few other occasions. They picked up stones to, to kill him. But Jesus fled from their presence. And also in the book of John, in John chapter 11, here's Jesus raising Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. And it's this occasion where we do see the humanity of Jesus Christ our Lord because he cries. He, he groans in his spirit. Uh, Martha came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. He made it through that situation. He comes to Mary. Mary's still heartbroken. Her brother's dead. And he has to talk to Mary. And, and after he gets talk, getting done talking to Mary, and Mary is saying, no, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And so he begins to cry, groaning in his spirit. We have that short verse that Jesus wept. But multitudes can be written on those two words about Jesus Christ mourning over the death of someone, over the death of a good friend. And so Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Word gets back to the religious leaders. And they begin to have this conspiracy, this plan developed on how they might be able to destroy Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 45 of John chapter 11. Notice what the text says for us. Many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things with Jesus did, believed on him. It says, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we, for this man doth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. Isn't that what humanity needs? Everybody to believe on Jesus Christ our Lord. But wait a minute, these are religious leaders. Surely they want Jesus Christ around. Well, they've already proven they didn't want Jesus in their synagogues. Now they're proving that they don't want Jesus Christ walking upon the face of the earth. Verse 49, one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest, the same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being a high priest this year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. Uh, and not for the nation only, but for also, uh, also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. In John chapter 12, notice that verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said to themselves, uh, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the whole world is gone after him. 
God's mission was to go to, into all the world. God's mission was for Jesus Christ to present himself to mankind. God's mission was to provide salvation for mankind, that mankind might believe on Jesus Christ our Lord. But the mission of these chief priests and the Pharisees was something different. They didn't want Jesus Christ walking around. They wanted him killed. And so they came up with a plan to have our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ killed. They wanted him to be removed from the face of the earth. And so they devised this plan. They gathered together a mob. They captured Jesus in the garden where he prayed. They put him on trial. They asked him all kinds of questions. And, and they, they came to the conclusion that he makes himself the king of the Jews. He makes himself the Christ uh, of the people. And the, to them, that was blasphemy. They didn't need anything else. He's blasphemy. He needs to be put to death. And they talked Pontius Pilate into having Jesus sentenced to death to be crucified upon the cross. Yes, they accomplished their purpose. Jesus Christ was removed from the earth and he was put in the tomb. And so when you look at Jesus Christ, is there any room for Jesus? There wasn't any room for Jesus in the end. Wasn't any room for Jesus in some of the synagogues. To some folks, there, there wasn't any room for Jesus to walk upon the face of the earth. And they killed our Savior. Yes, in that plan, they still carried out God's plan of salvation. Jesus died upon the cross. His precious blood was shed. And, and forgiveness can be offered up. But when we bring the, this lesson home, is there any room for Jesus Christ in your life? Is there any room for Jesus Christ in your heart? When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he pointed out to the Ephesians that Christ dwelleth in your hearts by faith. He marveled at, at God's mystery, at God's scheme of redemption, that in eternity he knew that Jesus Christ was going to die, that Jesus Christ would purchase the church with his precious blood, that Jews and Gentiles can be a part of that family, that they can be a part of that church. And, and when Paul finally realized that and giving his life to Christ, he wanted to take that message into all the world. But as he told Christians, Christ dwells in your heart. We know that we are to be Christ-like. On other occasions, Paul would talk about not only Christ being in his heart, but Christ being his life. And in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, he said, According to the earnest expectation of my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was in prison. He's writing back to the church at Philippi. And Paul is saying, for me to live is Christ. And when I die, it's gain. When he wrote to the Galatians, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, that's what folks need to hear today, that Jesus Christ loves me and he gave himself for me. Those of us that are Christians, that's the life that we display, the life of a child of God. Jesus Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. Jesus Christ adorning our life. When people see us, they ought to be able to see Jesus Christ our Lord. And when Paul said, when I live, I live for Christ. And Paul is saying, even though I'm living, it's Christ who lives in me. But what Paul wants to, be, what Paul wants to make evident is Christ loves me. But not just him. Paul knew that Christ loves everyone. And that Christ gave his life for everyone. When Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1, in verses 1 through 4, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. When Christ appears, we want to be like him. 
We want to appear with him in glory. Well, how are we going to be able to do that? By being a child of God. By having Jesus Christ live in us and through us. By telling others about the love of Jesus Christ and his, sac pardon me, his sacrifice for mankind. But we may have some here that are present with us this morning. The Lord is not in your life. The Lord does not consume your life. You're not a Christian. You're not a child of God. And you know sin's there. You know you need to deal with that sin. And the only way to deal with it is to repent of it. Because your sins, uh, you can't work out your salvation to where God's just going to forgive you without faith, without repentance, without confession, without baptism. Some folks think if I think right and, and I do right and I live right, then surely heaven's going to be my home. No, God's will for you in order to be saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Acts chapter 16 and verses 29 and following. To believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That must be believed. In the Hebrew letter, Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. You need faith. You need to confess Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. No confession, no salvation. Repentance. Jesus would say, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3 and 5, or Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Have you put your faith in Christ, repented of your sins, confessed Jesus as being the Son of God? Have you been baptized, immersed in water for the remission of sins? You see, it's in that water where God cuts away the sins that are in your life, where those sins are forgiven by the precious blood of Christ. And when you rise up out of that water, then you rise up to walk in newness of life. You rise up with Christ being your life. So if you're not a Christian this morning, we want to encourage you to become one. If you're a child of God and somehow Jesus was pushed out of your heart and out of your life and sin has uh, encompassed your heart, then turn away from that sin. Whatever your need might be this morning, won't you come while we stand and sing?